there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. The doctor is in, and it's an international Advanced Medicine Monday today with Dr. Rasha Batar in Cancun, and he's still with us. Breaking news we covered a little bit last hour on the acknowledgement of the cancer industry, or some in it, published in the JAMA Journal, that they really don't know what they're talking about when it comes to cancer, and they're just now admitting it. I, I know I've oversimplified it, Dr. Batar, but that's where I wanted to throw it out for you. Well, it's amazing, just having read this article just now, right before we went on the air, pretty amazing that it actually got published. That's the first thing, because the review article that I read just now points out some very important aspects of this entire debate, points that I've made repetitively over the last decade, and it's been violently opposed by the medical boards. It's been violently opposed by the conventional thought process in medicine. And yet uh, these points are now coming to fruition. So I am very, very excited that finally this has been released. And of course, mainstream media is not seemingly at least has not covered this yet. But this is this is going to be a great show, Robert, because I've got so much. I, I think we may have to have two shows on this. I, I know. I think we're going to have to cover two weeks' worth here. Now, Dr. Yeah. Batar, you said violently opposed. Talk to me about what, at least one one aspect of this that was revealed that confirms things that you've been saying, you've been knowing as well for a long time, that, that is stunning to see published in the JAMA Journal. Well, you know, there's a number of them. It's almost difficult to decide where to start. <laughs> yes. But I'll tell you, there's a couple of things that really, really stand out. For example... One of the components that this uh, gentleman that did this review... Sayer G. Sayer G from Green Med Info. He does a lot of good work here. We've interviewed him. I like him a lot. And yeah, by the way, the links are up in the show notes today at robertscottbell.com. Check it out. Again, this is stunning stuff. Uh, But yeah, he threw out a lot in his review pulling out from the article. So if you're not someone that reads like JAMA journal articles and really picks it up, he did a good job of giving an overview. Yeah, he really did. And one of the things that he brings up here, which is there's an old adage that we've all been taught, whatever doesn't kill you only serves to make you stronger. Well, that's never been truer than when you look at cancer because what doesn't kill cancer only serves to make it stronger. And this is one reason that cancers that go into remission, when they come back, when they fail remission, they come back, they come back with a vengeance. It's called refractory cancer. And cancer that is refractory to treatment is virtually indestructible. And the reason it's indestructible is because it's mutated. The cancer is highly adaptogenic and mutagenic. It essentially learns what we're doing and how to overcome it. So it mutates, it adapts. It's the alligator of the modern world, which has, you know, adapted in. It's around since the time of the dinosaurs and it it finds a way. It always finds a way. Or, Or the shark. Yeah, exactly. Or like the shark. Sharks mm-hmm. have been around since the time of dinosaurs. It figures out how to survive throughout history, throughout climatic changes and, you know, earthquakes and massive uh, planetary shifts. They've survived. Why? Because they're highly adaptogenic. They're highly mutagenic. And that's the problem with cancer. 
that it's constantly changing. And that's one of the reasons that our treatment works so well, because the way we do it when we're dealing with our soda, we are able to shift as the cancer shifts. It doesn't matter because once we've gotten the signature of the cancer, we know that that particular therapy that we're going to now administer is going to be good. Once we start it, it's done every four weeks. We can freeze it. We can keep it for six months. But once we start the treatment, it's every week for the next four weeks. And we don't care how the cancer changes because all we do is we collect another R-SOTA sample. R-SOTA stands for Autogenous Antigen Receptor Specific Oncogenic Target Acquisition. I know it's a mouthful. <laughs> yes. um, it, was a, it was a term that when I coined it, it was to really essentially describe what it does. And that's exactly what it does. It's autogenous, meaning the body's own antigen uh, receptor specific. It's specific to the antigen receptor side uh, of cancer. In other words, it's, it's actually picking up the cancer's antigen receptor sites and oncogenic, meaning cancer target acquisition, it's acquiescing the target. It's allowing us to seek out the cancer and it targets the cancer. So the autogenous antigen receptor specific oncogenic target acquisition technique is understanding and uh, anticipating this mutagenic and adaptogenic component of cancer. So every time we recollect it, we're getting a new signature. We don't care how it changes. We don't care how it adapts. We don't care how it mutates because every time it does, we're getting the new signature. You have to remember that cancer is a part of the body. That's another thing that this gentleman talks about. He says that rather than looking at cancer as something that's foreign, we need to start looking at it as if it's part of what is natural and normal in our systems. And that's exactly correct. We can't can't look at cancer as something that is something that we have to oppose or fight. We have to accept it because it's a signal. It's the, it's a, we've talked about this so many times, Robert. It's mm-hmm. a mechanism of communication where the body is trying to tell you that there's something wrong. And to go after the cancer would be directly is like going after the flashing light on your dashboard in the car. The flashing light is indicating that there's something wrong with the engine, but the flashing light is what we're treating when we're treating cancer. We're not addressing the actual causation, which is either one, toxicity, 99% of the time this toxicity, or it's malnutrition at that specific point where it starts. And more often than not, it's a combination of both, where it's just toxicity with the malnutrition, a, a def- and that's where that rapid uncontrolled cellular proliferative process starts because the body is going into its last ditch effort at that very point where the cancer starts. It's at that very point. That point is trying to survive. It's trying to maintain viability. And so that mechanism of the uncontrolled cellular proliferation and the suppression of apoptosis is nothing but a normal response of the body that's, that the creator designed in order to you know, perpetuate yourself in order to maintain yourself. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you talk about this comprehensive approach. Of course, it's extensively written about in the nine steps to keep the doctor away. Of course, your international bestseller. It's also in the advanced medicine seminars. It's what you're going to be presenting also in Cancun. And yet there are so many people, and especially in the oncological field, that target cancer still as if it were, you know, a wartime firefight. If we can just kill it, napalm it, destroy it, We'll be good. It'll be all over. And we hope that we didn't kill the host at the same time. And if so, you'll be good to go. Disavowing knowledge of recurrence, as you said as well, if you don't kill it totally, it comes back. It's worse now. It's not even treatable. Dr. Nick Gonzalez talked about something like stem cells and cancer, how these things adapt like, like, uh, uh, you know, they adapt for survival, just like you said. Yeah. In fact, the cancer stem cells, you know, this is another important point that this gentleman brought up, um, Sarah G brings up. Mm-hmm. And again, we've talked about this numerous times that 
the malignancy of the post-treated cancer is exponentially greater than the rate of malignancy of the cancer in its original form. So really what's happening is that we are accelerating the mutagenic and adaptogenic process of that cancer when we give people chemotherapy and radiation because it just accelerates that survival mechanism of the cancer. You see, one of the things that's that people have to understand is that cancer is constantly going on in every human being's body, on every animal's body. It's a process that is con- constantly going. I mean, you could think of actually a baby being developed or a person after surgery or after an injury when they have that rapid regrowth phase. Those are, that's a form of cancer if you think about it because it's rapid uncontrolled cellular proliferation. It's, it's going, you know, it's very organized. The sure. difference between cancer and some of these other things is that cancer is not organized. It's very chaotic in its growth pattern and such. Well, but, Dr. Batara, I just, you know, brought my son to see you when we were up there in North Carolina. It was really great. And one of the, one of the things your key nurse there had, had said, Jane, was, uh, is, your, is your son growing, uh, tr- you know, lies a growth spurt? And of course, he's 13. He's in a massive growth spurt. Why do you ask? Well, there's this one thing in the test that would say, well, it's either a growth spurt or it's cancer, right? So what you're saying is actually confirmed by what you can identify in someone who, like you said, a baby or a young child, uh, uh, an adolescent who's growing tremendously. It's going to show up signs that if you don't know differently, you would interpret, you know, an oncologist would say, oh, it must be cancer. Right. And, and in fact, you know, it's interesting that you bring up some of these markers. I'll give you an example of two markers that are nonspecific markers of cancer. And maybe we've covered this before in previous show, Robert, but I think it probably warrants that we bring it up re- right now. Sure. Uh, one of those things is alpha fetoprotein. The other one is human chorionic gonadotropin. Mm-hmm. So HCG is what we do when we test a woman to see if she's pregnant. Well, that's a nonspecific marker of cancer. An HCG level is often drawn to see if a person has cancer. Alpha fetoprotein is also the marker of um, cancer and it's used to, it's actually pulled out of the amniotic fluid to see if the baby is developing normally or if there's any type of uh, congenital anomaly like a spina bifida or some of those types of things. So alpha fetoprotein and human chorionic gonadotropin are markers of pregnancy and they are nonspecific markers for cancer. Now, why would there be a similarity in a marker for cancer or why would there be why would the same marker for cancer also um, mark pregnancy? And that's exactly the point that you were just bringing up. You know, these are these are body, the body's way of communicating with us. So when you measure the HCG and you see it going up, why would you see the same thing in pregnancy as a cancer? Why would you see the same thing with alpha fetoprotein? Well, if you start to look at the form that the body is utilizing to give you the message and the cancer is nothing more than the symptom of the underlying problem, then that HCG or the alpha fetoprotein, it's almost like the cancer mm-hmm. is trying to pretend – that it's something that's supposed to be there. Right, right. It, it's, it's that it's confusing like, signal. Of course, that's what they always say. Well, uh, it's, it's tricking your immune system in a sense. But we all know that without a, a properly functioning immune system, you don't have the strength to, uh, let's say, control and limit something that is, as we know, a normally occurring process within the, within the body. At any given time, there's always going to be some degree of cancer cells present. Well, actually, that's a different point that you're bringing up because here's another interesting thing now based upon what you just said, which is true. Mm-hmm. You cannot have cancer if you have an intact immune system. Right. If you have cancer, by definition, your immune system has failed. So 
you know, if you look at it just from a pure message standpoint, Robert, pure analogy of flashing red light on the dashboard of your car. If you just look at it from that perspective, then cancer is that flashing light that's telling you that your immune system is no longer functional. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a rudimentary one part of it. There's, there's other components, obviously, but I'm just saying that if we take that analogy and we take it to the full length, the message is blatantly being presented to us that your immune system is damaged. That's it. I mean, that's just one part of it. Yep, and I know the, I've mentioned that a couple of times now, but the, there's a reason for it because that's where we have to fundamentally change the shift in our thought process when we're addressing cancer. It's a warning. And there's many other components it's telling us besides just that, but that is just the simplest one. All right. Well, we're going to go uh, further into it this hour. I'd say this is a special edition because, man, oh, man, the stuff that was revealed in this JAMA article and Sayer G did a great job in overviewing it. We're going to talk more about it. Uh, and, of course, Dr. Vitar from Cancun at the Advanced Medicine Seminar there. We continue now. Check out all the links. Say thanks to those who make this possible, this message of health, freedom, and healing liberty. We'll be right back with Dr. Batar after this. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Advanced Medicine Monday continues with Dr. Rashid Bittar here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Stunning revelations from the JAMA Journal. NCI actually investigated this, and I don't usually uh, hold out a lot of hope that they do good work, but as you said, Dr. Bittar, stunning that this was even published. It's not being covered that I have seen much at all in the old media because of what this means. This could be devastating. I mean, it means that a bunch of the cancers that they diagnose or want to detect are not really even cancer. But the fact of the matter is, if they do nothing, nothing, they're acknowledging that the people would survive and, and never resu- likely never result in a cancer being diagnosed, much less the treatment that ends up killing them or making it worse. Yeah, that's a, a very good point, too, because we know that according to a book called Beating Cancer with Nutrition, written by a very good friend of mine, Dr. Patrick Quillen, who actually worked as a vice president for the Cancer Centers of America. And he's, uh, his book, Beating Cancer with Nutrition, has now, I don't know how many different versions he's had. But one of the things that he quotes in there, a statistic that he talks about, is that 42 to 46% of cancer patients die of cachexia, of malnourishment. And my question has always been, how many oncologists are addressing malnourishment when they're treating cancer patients? And of course, the answer is, maybe one or two out of however many they are. So malnourishment is clearly one of the leading causes of death in mm-hmm. cancer patients. Well, what are the other 54%, 58% of the patients dying from? And the joke is it's actually the treatment, but it's not really a joke. It actually is the truth because here's the thing. Radiation and chemo in a healthy, immune-competent individual, I believe, will cause cancer. Now, I know that that sounds preposterous, but that's the actual truth because the amount of chemo, I'm sorry, excuse me, the amount of toxicity from the chemo, right? and, and remember, this is nonspecific. It's hitting every cell in the body. The amount of toxicity that's induced from the chemo and from the radiation is going to cause a mutagenesis to occur. It's going to cause DNA addicts to form. It's going to increase oxidative stress. It's going to do all the things that occur when cancer starts. Well, and, and the remember, the process actually is initiated. Yeah, and all of the advancements that they're claiming to have made in the field of oncology since the war of, on cancer is 
less toxic forms of chemo or let's just talk at targeting can we target certain gene sequences can we can we put a a, a marker somewhere where the chemo goes to only there because they realize how devastating their treatment is so they've had to find ways to minimize the toxicity much the same way that in the whole realm of AIDS and the nonsense of, that is HIV causation has basically reduced the dosage of AZT and then they've claimed success because people are living longer it's just that it's become less toxic but even targeting chemotherapy doesn't get to the reason the cancer proliferates that's exactly right because the proliferation is a survival mechanism. That's all it is. Mm. You know, the last thing that a tree does before it dies is it rapidly pollinates. That's a natural response. It's the last thing that a tree does. Well, how do we know that that point in the body, that cell that initiates that cascade, the oncogenic cascade, is so severely malnourished and or so severely toxic that all it's trying to do is trying to survive and it goes into this rapid proliferative phase in order to spread its progeny, in order to divide into daughter cells that can still continue to go and propagate and, and continue to grow. That's all it's trying to do. It's, it's, we're almost attacking our own body's innate mechanisms of survival when we attack cancer. And so that's one reason that when we treat it, our approach is always to give the body enough of a leeway to give it enough of an opportunity to revert those abnormal cells back into normal cells, which happens. A lot of people think, well, that's impossible. No. Remember, what were those cancer cells before they were cancer cells? They were normal cells. Mm -hmm. Okay, That's one reason the common characteristics of cancer are suppression of apoptosis. What does that mean? Apoptosis is programmed cell suicide. Every cell in the body has this apoptotic mechanism in place. It's like a, an emergency red button, if you can imagine on the wall, that if something is going wrong with that cell, that button is hit and that cell self-destructs in order to prevent that abnormality from spreading to all the other cells. It's a natural mechanism of, of uh, safety mm -hmm. to keep that cell from causing problems to other cells. So as soon as a cell goes abnormal, apoptosis occurs. In cancer, there's a suppression of that apoptosis. So that program cell suicide program is no longer working. So it's a program. Think of it as that way. It's a program that's designed to trigger and to cause a cell to self-destruct. Mm -hmm. But it's suppressed in cancer. Why is it suppressed in cancer? Well, in cancer, there's the uncontrolled cellular proliferation. That's one of the characteristics. And so cancer is trying to rapidly grow and it's growing at a rate that is far far different than what normal cells will grow at well that suppression of apoptosis allows for that uncontrolled cellular proliferation to occur so again it's those cells they're just rapidly growing and if we can re-establish normalcy within if that's a word normalcy yes um, if we can re recreate that, that normal state of balance and address the issues that cause the cancer to start in the first place, which is one, toxicity, and two, malnutrition or malnourishment or severe nutritional deficiency, I should say, yes. or usually a combination of both, then there is a chance that some of those cells will revert back into their normal state and they won't be uh, no, any longer rapidly proliferating and that program cell death, that apoptosis program that is no longer functional or that's become aberrant is now reestablished and reinstated. And so now the abnormal cells will self-destruct. And that's actually what we're doing with our treatment. And, and most of the doctors that are trying to do treatments that are not, not toxic is that they're trying to allow 
the body to come back into that state. And we actually see evidence of that working when we do CAT scans or MRIs, which I usually try not to do because that's, again, giving more toxicity, more exposure to abnormal energetics to the individual. You know, CAT scans, PET scans, all these things are giving a lot of negative the radiation, et cetera, the, all the side effects from some of these other tests. But when we do do those tests, or if they end up getting done, we see necrosis occurring with the cancer. And necrosis is death. What, what is that death? And that we, we're not doing anything to cause the cancer to die, but we are giving, doing certain things to allow the normal cells to remain healthy and for the cancer cells to revert back into the normal state. But if they can't, then what's happening is those – the the – then, then we will hit them with other types of treatments that are targeted sure. to actually kill the cancer. But the first line is to give enough chance for the cancer cells to revert back into that normal state. And that necrosis is those normal cells now having reestablished apoptosis and now killing themselves, dying off and letting the remnants, whatever is there, if it's cancer, then it continues to grow. And that's when we come in with the secondary tier of treatment or there's no treatment necessary because the cells have now become normal and everything's continuing to go back into its normal state. Well, what I hear as well is confirmation that a mono type of kind of like when you have uh, uh, farmers that monocrop and wonder why their, their plants uh, are not as hardy year after year after year, because they're, they're doing something that nature abhors this one thing only. And it's the same thing with treatment, even nutritional treatment, only one thing that you need to do and everything's fine. And, you know, when I was talking with Dr. Gonzalez before, you know, he was talking about this idea of starving cancer of sugar. Well, I mean, that's fine. We know that it metabolizes easily uh, with sugar. But if it's the only strategy you have and that's what you do, don't expect that it's going to go away because you've done, done nothing to address other aspects of the terrain, immune dysfunction, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's true. Uh, cancer is an obligate glucose metabolizer, which basically means the cancer needs sugar to survive. Cancer produces its own insulin-like growth factors, in fact, in order to suck up more sugar. So insulin's job is to drive sugar into cells, so cancer creates its own insulin-like growth factors to drive more sugar into itself so that it can continue to propagate and grow. So that is a true statement. And yes, we do recommend, in fact, we insist that patients go in a very low sugar diet when they're being treated. But certainly, that is not the only thing we do. And it is silly to think that you know, any single one thing is going to work in anything in life. In fact, it's like saying one exercise will provide you with everything that you need. Or, right, right. It's like it all, you know, everything operates in a vacuum. You only need to do one thing. It's like, no, yeah. that's not how life works. There, there's nothing out there on the planet that, um, there's no panacea for anything. There's no panacea for investments. There's no panacea for for education, there's no panacea for medicine, there's no panacea for health, everything, it's a multifaceted component. You're absolutely right, Robert. Right, and even, you know, I love oxygen therapies, I love ozone, I think it's brilliant, it's phenomenal what it does, but if you do that and nothing else, you can kill stuff temporarily, but the terrain is still the terrain, you haven't addressed that fundamental underlying thing, that's why we must address it in a comprehensive fashion that cleans the body of the toxins, that re-nourishes all the things that we've talked about so many times. Right. In fact, I think at this point, since you brought it up, I think it would be good for us to review the five steps that at least we use in our approach. And this is something that you can download from our website, our five-step approach to dealing with cancer. The first one, just like in the book, we talk about the three fundamental foundations of health and wellness. The first one is systemic detoxification. The second one in the foundation of health is 
a little bit different than with cancer. The second one, in the in, as far as the three foundations of health, is immune modulation. Notice I didn't say increasing the immune system or decreasing the immune system, but modulating the immune system. And then in the three foundations of health, the third step is physiological optimization, which means basically things like increasing oxygenation and incre- increasing all the different functions of the body that are going to help the physiology work better. Well, when we're dealing with cancer, we actually flip the second and third one around. So you actually have the second foundation in dealing with cancer or the five steps of dealing with cancer. The second step is actually the physiological optimization. And then we do the immune modulation as a third step. That's the only difference. So they both start off with systemic detoxification. And then in cancer, we, the next thing we do is physiological optimization. Then we deal with the immune system. We modulate it. Then the fourth step is target acquisition, which we achieve using things such as the Arsoda and such. And then the fifth one is maintenance. So this five-step approach to cancer gives us a framework in which to approach this pathology and address all the nuances when you're dealing with cancer because there's always a toxicity issue. And some people ask me, well, where do you address the nutritional aspect? Well, that's in the physiological optimization aspect. Then the target acquisition and immune modulation components, that immune modulation is key because, remember, cancer cannot occur if you have an intact immune system. If you have cancer, that is telling you your body is an immune system that is no longer functional. And then, of course, the target acquisition, we have to allow the body to understand and recognize that cancer is being formed because cancer mimics a fetus. In, in, mm-hmm. Like we talked about with the HCG and alpha fetal protein, the cancer is trying to fool the body into thinking that it's supposed to be there. So we must now address the cancer as being formed. We have to allow the body to the ability to it. decipher yeah. and recognize that cancer is not something that should be present. And then, of course, the final component is maintenance, maintaining the lifestyle, maintaining the, the physiological changes that we've established once we've beaten the cancer and to make sure that that basically as you de- talked about you know dealing with the terrain issues dealing yes. with the nutritional uh, issues dealing with the toxicity issues we need to maintain a clean environment for the body so that those changes that cause the cancer to occur in the first place no longer have a chance to reoccur beautiful and we'll continue to do that today on advanced medicine monday with dr rasha batar special cancer edition with this thing in the jama journal you've got to read it to believe it and we'll talk more about it after the break the robert scott bell Information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Hey, talk about cancer breakthroughs. It's not only the things that uh, uh, doctors like Dr. Batard do that are actually helping people, but it's just astonishing that years, decades sometimes later than other docs have been warning about all of these things, that they're just now catching up to these things. And it's just an exciting week here on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Batard going advanced medicine that we're actually witnessing another layer of acknowledgement, not for our own self-gratification, but literally this could be a breakthrough for a lot of the doctors that were just closed down to these discussions. They're going to have a harder time remaining close to the things that you're doing that we're doing. Well, there will be that subgroup that regardless of what is said, what is published, what the truth is, they're going to continue to hold on to their stubborn beliefs regardless of what the evidence is. And we know that, Robert, but yes. there will be others that have been open and that want to learn more, that want to know the truth, that may be sitting on the fence 
And this may be just enough for them to jump in with both feet now because they see more and more evidence coming. You know, what's amazing for me, though, personally, is that I'm surprised that they actually allowed that to be published because we know that there's, a, again, I guess the not the conspiracy theorist, but the conspiracy realist aspect in us. Yes. We know that there has been a very um, well, and a, significant suppression of this kind of information flowing to the top. If, if you stuck your head out and actually started questioning it, bringing these things up, it would be chopped off. Now that this is published, I guess what you're saying, what I agree with, those that are on the fence that were you know in fear of their jobs, whatever, that sort of were sympathetic to what you're doing, what we've been talking about, now may be emboldened to take a step. And then when they do, it's doubly bad for the cancer establishment because they not only lose the energy of that person, but that person might actually, their energy might be used actively against that previous belief system. Well, yeah, but that, that, that's, that's exactly what I was saying. But the point that, the, the second point that I was trying to make, which obviously I didn't do a very good job in, this is what comes back to that, what do we do as an individual to ch- make the change and uh, you know, in the middle of all this negativity and all this stuff that's going on politically and, you know, all the information, the misinformation that's being spread and people not being empowered. And we've talked about how people have the ability to regain that power. The power to heal is theirs. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about right now, this is an incredible event that a journal such as JAMA has published such a devastating blow to the industry of cancer that is a multi-trillion dollar industry. We know it's a money-making farce. We know that the National Cancer Institute and the American Cancer Society are both the two most significant organizations in the cancer movement and are the biggest non-profit organizations that make the most amount of profit. I think uh, the NCI posted like $800 million in profit and the American Cancer Society, something like that in 2012, 2011. I don't remember what the numbers were, but they're just unbelievably high numbers. Maybe it's 80 million, maybe it's 800 million. I don't remember well, what it was. I think it's probably 800 billion, but they, uh, ironically, too, they've been the largest obstacle to this kind of revelation coming out. That's what's so strange about this, that the NCI was sponsored to do this and that JAMA published it. Is that not evidence for some consciousness shift on some level, like we've been discussing for a couple of exactly. years now? That's exactly my point. That is exactly my point because these organizations as a whole, I'm sure somebody's trying to figure out what the hell happened. You know, somebody's going, wait a second, who published this? Why did this, <laughs> this information get out there? But that there are people, as we've said, in all these different organizations, all these different institutions that know the truth and want the truth to get out there. So this is perfect evidence that we are seeing right now of what we've discussed, that this consciousness is not only shifting, but the time, this 2013 being that year of change where all these things are starting to become more evident and now people are talking about them. I would like to see more on the political arena, you know, this uh, Snowden character and all the information that he released. I read an article that was very sad. It said that his greatest fear was not what would happen to him. His greatest fear was that the truth would be known and that the American people would stand by and do nothing about it. Mm. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of, interesting editorial articles that said there's been no call for radical shift, there's been no call for congressional oversight, there's been no call for impeachment, there's, everything is just continuing the same way. But I think that things are probably happening and we just are not aware of it and they will, just like this article, we did, I didn't know it was coming out until you told me that it was already out. So 
and of course, mainstream media is not covering it. It's uh, only been published online, and nobody's talking about it yet. That's what, I guess what our job is to talk about it, bring right. well, it to exactly. the awareness of we, the average people. We are the new media. We are, and, and everyone out there listening is that new media. And your communication to others on these uh, subjects and and to point these things out because. Listen, we know that the, the today shows of the world are not going to want to cover it the way that we're covering it. They'll gloss over and say, oh, looks like we found that uh, one particular form of cancer is not so bad. That's great news. And they'll leave the rest to not be discovered or hopefully not be discovered. But what we're doing here is bringing that out. And yes, there's there's evidence that what Snowden has done has created a ripple and a rift within the political establishment in America on both the left and the right. And yet that also the battle lines are drawn in the med- in the mainstream media that are not covering it the way we are. And so, yes, there's evidence there as well that the shift is on. Right. And the thing is that the average individual doesn't have time to go through and find this information because life is busy and they're trying to earn a living and take care of their families and and do what we all do. And it makes it difficult when you're trying to decipher this information. It's a lot easier to just sit down on the couch after you just got home and flip on the TV and watch the news, which is never going to give you the good news. That's one reason I never watch news because it never gives you the truth. It's always talking about, you know, such and such person got murdered here and such and such person died in a car wreck there. They don't talk about the cause, the real cause of disease, which 80%, 80% of all deaths are either cancer or heart related. Nobody talks about that. But the point is, again, it's so um, negative that, you know, I, I even just thinking about it right now is starting to give me mm-hmm. one of those sensations of, you know, I just got to block that out. I don't like to be in that arena. And that's where most people end up being because they have no other choice because the media is not covering it. But something like this, I mean, how empowering is this story that now even the hierarchy or somebody in the hierarchy sponsored by the NCI allowed this study to come out or you know, maybe it wasn't allowed. Maybe they slipped it out. Maybe somebody knew that this was important and got it out. But this is going right back to the heart of what we've talked about, that the power to heal is yours. They're talking about these specific types of conditions that previously people would have said, oh, my God, you need to start chemotherapy. And this is affecting a lot of people. It's not like affecting uh, 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 people. In 2012, according to this article alone, it was 1.3 million cases. Well, this is for one particular type, they were talking about 1.3 million cases in the last 30 years. But um, well, it's it's big it's, numbers. It's not a small uh, you know quantity here that we're talking about. And you know, if you look at some of the statements in this thing, one of the uh, the sentences I pulled out, perhaps most dramatically, the group says that a number of pre-malignant conditions, including ductal carcinoma in situ and high-grade prostatic intraepithelial neoplasia, should no longer be called cancer. Yeah, and the you know intraductal carcinoma in situ is one of the most common types of early breast cancer diagnosis that there are out there. I mean, it's it's all over the place. So when you're talking about the high grade prostatic intraepithelial neoplasia, or you're talking about carcinoma in situ, these are things that are affecting so many people. And what I really, really appreciated in this overview article was that they're talking about not only do most of these things don't progress into cancer, but the mere fact that you treat them will cascade them into a more malignant, more rapidly growing type of cancer. And so it's, you know, we, you mentioned this in the beginning. It's not just that a lot of these people are getting treated unnecessarily. A lot of these people, by their treatment, mm-hmm. 
are, are being cascaded into that cancerous process. Yeah, so when we say things that have been quoted in books and written about for decades here on the cancer industry, more people uh, make a living off of cancer uh, than die from it. Uh, the fact is, it's not cancer that's killing most people since the establishment of an oncological medical monopoly. The real death rate has been caused by the intervention and the treatment. And, you know, it's still stunning to say it, even though we've known it for a long time. This is something that brings that level of awareness up a lot of notches. Right, right, exactly. That's where Dr. Patrick Hoon's book, you know, 42 to 46% of cancer patients die from malnutrition. Well, what do the rest of the cancer patients die of? The treatment. The treatment. Very the few treatment. people actually die from the cancer. In fact, nobody dies from cancer. It's in multi-organ system failure, you know, but the treatment is really the reason that so many people end up going into kidney failure. Why? Mm-hmm. Because of the, yes. the radiation and the chemo. Um, yeah. Go into... Uh, situations where their livers are no longer working they go into the cascade you know there's so many different types of cascades that these people can fall into but liver kidney failures are the first things then you start seeing the effects from some of the chemotherapies that individuals have had to endure and what the aftermath that they have to deal with in their cardiac issues i've actually had a patient that went through their treatment they'd already had chemo they already had radiation they'd failed everything came through us um got cleaned up had a clean bill of health, seemed like everything was going fine. Four weeks after their treatment with us, died of a heart attack. And the heart attack was associated with the, the chemotherapeutic agent that they'd had because it caused so much damage. Exactly. Well, we're going to take a break here, and we're going to wrap up Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rasha Batari. He's got to get back to it uh, with the Advanced Medicine Seminar in Cancun. And wow, what a stunning day on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Batar. We'll be right back. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott, the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Links are up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. If you ever miss a show, particularly the Advanced Medicine Monday version of the show, you can go to medicalrewind.com. Makes it easy for you to find all of the 100-plus hours of uh, downloadable audio with Dr. Batar. Fascinating, fascinating discussions we're having. And right now, as, as good as they've ever been with this uh, reveal on the, the overview that Sergi did is great. And I, I encourage you to read it at Green Med Info. We've got the link up. Uh, Dr. Batar, this NC, DCIS, I should say, the ductal cell, how do you say it again? Ductal carcinoma in situ. Yes, I say in situ, but you know I don't deal with this every day like you do. But the idea here of that not even being cancer, but yet when they t- all the pink ribbon campaigns, the breast cancer awareness month, get tested, get radiated, literally the emotional and mental distress that women, particularly, but men too, could be put under based on not having cancer. Yeah, in fact, uh, Sarah G talks about this, and he says that approximately sixty thousand women in the country are diagnosed every year with the DCIS. And according to what he's quoted here, which I find this amazing, a a diagnosis that's so traumatic that it results in significant psychiatric depression three years after even a false positive diagnosis, which means that basically a woman that's been told that, hey, you have DCIS, and then finds out that she actually does not have ductal carcinoma in situ, so that's called a false positive. Even three years after that information, she's gotten the correct information that she doesn't have this condition, is still scarred emotionally. So what is it doing to, just think about the emotional baggage of hearing the words, 
you have cancer. Hmm. I mean, there are over 1.5 million to 1.8 million men and women. I think it's 1.8 million men and 1.5 million women, or maybe it's the other way around. I don't have the references in front of me, that every year get diagnosed with cancer for the first time. And so the statistics are that one out of every two males Mm -hmm. and one out of every three females will in some time in the United States will at some time in their lives hear the words, I'm sorry, but you have cancer. Now, doesn't mean that all of them have cancer, but that's what they're hearing. The emotional aspect, the baggage, that's got to be devastating. And that's, again, one of the things, in fact, today, one of my patients that's here from Australia that had cancer and is here for the Cancun seminar, made a comment to the rest of the attendees that cancer, when you hear the word cancer, that is not a death sentence like people think it is. In fact, it's not even close to that, yet people assume that it is. And that's one of her reasons and one of her missions in life now is to help to negate those sentiments and those thoughts Mm -hmm. that people have by making them, by giving them the power, by empowering them to realize that, look, just because you've been told you have cancer doesn't mean that you're going to die. Yes. So that's, that's a powerful thing if you think about it. Just the psyche of the individual. If you tell a person they're going to die, even if they're not going to die, if they believe they're going to die, guess what? They're yep. going to die. We've talked about the power of belief, and that's a huge part of uh, when you, you know, talk about the advanced medicine seminars, the concepts in healing, and that you'll do in Cancun as well. And, you know, the reprogramming that needs to be done. I mean, we talk about this radio programming. It's broadcasting, a pro, but we're talking about deprogramming people from these beliefs. And we've had to overcome these beliefs in our own lives as well. And that's partly why we're able to communicate in the way we do with such posture, because we've not only seen it in our own lives, but in so many that have been helped since that time. Well, that's absolutely true, Robert. And, you know, one thing people have to realize is that we're all going to die. You know, when, when you start to realize there's that old saying that only, the only two things that are certain in life are death and taxes. Nobody said that cancer is one of those certain things that a person is going to die from. It's just that death and taxes are certain. So if we realize that we're all going to die, we just don't know when. Some of us may die in 50 years. Some of us may die tomorrow. But as soon as you start to realize that we should live every, every day of our lives as if it is our last day, mm-hmm. then whether you die tomorrow or whether you die 50 years from now, whether it's from a car wreck or you stumble and you know, fall off a tall building or whether it's cancer, it's, nobody walks around going, oh my God, I could get hit by a car today. Nobody walks around going, oh, I could stumble and fall off a building today, right? Nobody thinks like, like that. People live their lives. But when you hear the word cancer, people think, oh my God, I'm going to die. And that's where they need to understand. It's no different than, oh, yes, I could, get, I could die today from getting hit by a car or from cancer or from anything else. And if they can understand that, I think that we as a society will have been further advanced, meaning that we're not walking around in a state of I'm going to die. Rather, we're walking around a state of living and then understanding that we're all going to one day die. And death is not a bad thing. Everybody, this, this is another connotation. Death people associate with an end. And yet, it's, we're going back to the same place that we all came from. Right. Now, well, I know that's you probably get, another show. If yeah, it is. have time to talk about that. You get into the spiritual toxicity aspect of it. And I talk that's about right. it uh, all that's the time right. here as well. We, we acknowledge that. 
that life is a continuum and it goes on well beyond the, the shell that we inhabit while we're here. But in the West, particularly, we've kind of lost that concept. Death is something that is hardly discussed even because it's morbid. But in cultures that are much older than ours, it's a normal part of the transition and it's not to be feared. And you embrace every day that you're here and breathing. Uh, so, that's and exactly right. you know, and that that's also what the power to heal is yours is all about. As long as you want to be here, you've got a mission and a passion. You keep going and then, you know, you, you've run the course. It's like, all right, it's time to go. But while you're here, hey, hey, have a great time. Find out what you're here to do. Now, on the issue of, of reprogramming the idea of what cancer is, I mean, that's a very powerful thing because the industry has taken control and hold of it. And now part of it, at least, is acknowledging we goofed, we were wrong. What does this mean from a liability perspective? I mean, I'm not so concerned for us, but for them, they're probably thinking about this as well. That's part of the suppression and cover-up here. We don't want to take responsibility for what we acknowledged or we thought was true prior to this point. And I think that's one reason that people, as they become aware of these pieces of information that we're discussing right now, it's an obligation that if you hear this information and you understand it, and especially if you know somebody could be that could benefit from it, Pass it on to them, and it's going to make a difference. I just downloaded that article from JAMA that you sent me, Robert, mm-hmm. and if you put that up on your show notes, I think everybody should download that and, yes, and read it because it's going to be very important for those. You know, you go talk to your doctor. For those people that know that no matter what information is out there, your doctor or some doctors are not going to acknowledge it, print it out and give it to your doctor. Let them see it. Let them understand it because I think more and more people – uh, want to see this information, and I think a lot of doctors would really appreciate it, but they will still be those that hold on to the old status quo, and mm-hmm. you can't change those people, but the ones that you can change, the ones that are sitting on the fence, as we discussed earlier, get this information in their hands. They're ready. They're looking for it, and you could be the one to deliver the good news to them, and also let them know about Advanced Medicine Monday every week here on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rasha Bittar. The links are up. Uh, Dr. Batar, we're out of time. You guys have a wonderful time. I know you will. Love to the whole family and all the attendees there. We appreciate them, and uh, we look forward to hearing some wonderful stories as well as we get together next week. Sounds great, Robert. Have a great week, too. Yep. Thanks for helping me rock Advanced Medicine Monday, Dr. Batar. In the meantime, reminding everybody, it's the God's honest truth. The power to heal is yours. Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.